46. Psalm 46. Lucas Bradburn was going to be preaching today. Of course, Lucas is with his family, his wife Allison, daughter of Dr. Barnes, who passed away. I thought this psalm might be helpful for us, both in light of the sudden grief, and also in light of we begin a new year. We begin a new year tomorrow, a new year faced with uncertainties for all of us from our vantage point. We don't know what this new year holds. We don't know what blessings or challenges it will bring. And so as we seek to care for our friends and as we seek to launch into a new year, let us, let us hear God's word that this psalm might be used by the Holy Spirit to help us. Please follow along as I read, and then we will ask for God's help. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, would you use your word now to teach us how to think, how to respond, and how to trust you. We ask you for this help. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite counselors is named David Pallison. David Pallison has said, in the Psalms, in the Psalms, God meets you where you are. It's a great way to think about the book of Psalms and the, the treasure it is in our Bibles. In the Psalms, God meets you right where you are. And that's very true of Psalm 46. Here God meets you right where you are in a very specific place. He meets you in the midst of trouble. He meets you in the midst of trial. Did you see verse, verse 1? God is a refuge, our refuge and strength, an ever-present or very present help in trouble. The psalmist, it's just interesting in verse 1, he just assumes trouble, doesn't he? It's just assumed you know what he's talking about. He doesn't seek to explain trials or suffering theologically. He doesn't provide a theological defense 
about the reality of evil in the world. He just assumes you understand about trouble in your life. And we do, don't we? You only have to live a brief time to encounter trials and difficulties and trouble. We, we know that trouble is real. But the psalmist goes on to describe trouble in these kind of monumental proportions. Did you notice that in verse 2? Verse 2, he writes, Therefore we will not fear, notice, though the earth give way, though the, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, this cataclysmic kind of trouble, though its waters roar and, and foam and the mountains quake with their, their surging. It would seem that the psalmist has this kind of earthquake in mind of, of major cataclysmic proportions when the one thing you thought was stable, the one thing, the ground underneath your feet is, is shaken. And that's what trouble feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Nothing feels stable. Everything feels shaken. Shaken here with, with tremendous force. And maybe that's how you feel in your own life right now. Things you thought you could always count on. Things you thought were a given. Things you thought would be stable. Became the very things that were shaken. Obviously this is what the Dale and Bradburn and Barnes families are experiencing. A very extreme form of unexpected Sudden trouble. But notice this is, not, this is not actually a real earthquake that is being described. Notice, notice the word though. Though in verses 2 and 3. Did you catch that? We will not fear though. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though, though its waters roar and foam. It's, it's as if you know, if that were to happen, though that were to happen, if something like this trouble of the greatest magnitude should occur, even then, this psalm's going to teach us, even then, there are truths about God we must know. Even then, there are truths about God that can help us and should inform how we think and live. So that's really the central issue here. Who is God in the midst of trouble? What is he like in the midst of your trouble, even when it's extreme like this? God reveals himself here in three ways. Three things I want to see with you about who God is in the midst of trouble. First, we find that God is present. First truth, God is present. See, the first stage of this truth really gets fleshed out in verses 4 and 5, but to feel their impact, just look back to verse 2 again. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, notice, where the Most High dwells. Did you, did you feel the shift from verses 2 and 3 to verse 4? Did you catch that contrast? 
In verses 2 and 3, the, the earth is giving way. Everything is giving way. Mountains falling into the sea. Waters roaring and, and form, foaming. And then, verse 4, there, there's a river. Calm, peaceful, serene, making glad the city of God. And the difference is made clear to us in verse 5. God is within her. She will not fall. It's meant to tell us something. This, this contrast is meant to teach us something. Where, where God is, where God is, there can be peace. Where God is, there's no longer surging and, and, and mountains falling and, and the earth quaking. There is now peace. Now, probably the psalmist here is thinking of Jerusalem. Verse 4 talks about the city of God, the city where the temple was located, which would be the place where God had manifested His, His immediate presence. So think Jerusalem here, sort of geographically. But that, that's being used as kind of a, a representation to teach us truths about God. To teach us that when everything else is vulnerable... When everything else is shaken, where God is, He is not shaken. He's not vulnerable like, you might, like that, you might say. Mountains fall, kingdoms fall, God is there, He's not shaken by it all. Don't we need this truth? Where God is, there can be peace. We talked last week. In our Christmas series, we talk about, talked about how at the heart of God's covenant, the heart of God's relationship with his people is this reality that we are his people, he is our God, that in effect he is with us. One writer called it the Emmanuel Principle. I just, I just love that idea. The Emmanuel Principle. Do you remember that? We were looking in the book of Matthew where the angel informs Joseph that his fiancée, Mary, truly is pregnant miraculously. He says that which is conceived in her is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the angel says you shall call this child's name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds... This was actually to fulfill what was written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, do you remember, Emmanuel, which means God with us. So because of Jesus, because of that child, his life, death, and resurrection, who has sent the Holy Spirit to be with and even in his people with that kind of closeness, we can say in the midst of any trouble, God is with us. Just as verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Though the earth may quake, God is not shaken. He's there. An, an unshakable presence for us. Think about it. When you're facing times of trouble, don't you, don't you just look for and long for someone, a friend who's just a rock to you? 
Someone you can just call and, and lean on. I find this, this is uh, my experience in, in marriage. For, for Sung and I, it seems like when, whenever, just by God's grace, whenever one of us is down, the other is up and is there to sort of be that person you, you lean on. I, I, I don't find typically we're both down at the same time, thankfully. If I might be discouraged, if I might be struggling, if I might be cynical or what have you, almost invariably, Sung is encouraged and Sung is there caring for me and about me and praying for me and she is that rock I can, I can lean on. God is saying here, He's that for us at all times. He's that for you right now. He's with you. He's stable. He's unmoved, unshakable. So where he is, where he is, friends, there can be peace. That, that really is the beauty of this truth. You can lean on him, come what may. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. If you are in Christ, listen, if you are in Christ, he is with you. God is present God is present. And then there's a second truth we glean. Second truth. We find that God is, God is not just present. He's very involved in our situation. But secondly, God is sovereign. But secondly, secondly, God is sovereign. That means He's, he's absolutely in control. He's, he's ruling and reigning over that trouble. He's sovereign. I just want to say from the outset, though, before we see this in this psalm, we always have to be careful in how we minister this truth to other people. Let's just think ministry for a moment. It is possible to wield this great truth in uncaring ways. We say to someone who pours out their heart to us. They say, well, God is sovereign, don't you? He's in control right now, as if their grief didn't matter or their suffering weren't real. So we don't want to wield this truth in some unfeeling kind of sterile way and pretend that your grief doesn't really matter because God is sovereign. But we still need this truth. That This is a bedrock. This is a great help. We see it beginning in verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He, God, utters his voice. The earth melts. It's this poetic picture of God sovereignly managing the affairs of the whole earth. And the psalmist picks it up again in verse 8. Look at verse 8. We read, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Verse 9, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He decides the duration of the war. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And did you notice, did you notice the pronouns? The desolations he, God, has brought. He, he makes the wars to cease. He, God, breaks the bow. He, Burns the shield. Isn't he being very clear with us? 
He is sovereignly exercising his authority over everything. He determines the duration of the war, the rise and fall of kingdoms. You find this throughout the Bible. The Bible is a wonderful gift, and it gives you a theological lens on history. For instance, it tells of the Assyrians, the Assyrian people, who at one point conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And you could study that in your history books. You can verify that. But the Bible gives you the theological understanding of what was going on. God says of the Assyrians, basically, you are my stick. I hold you like a little stick. He said through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 10, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him, the Assyrian, against a godless nation. I dispatch him. I dispatch him against a people who anger me. They are the superpower of the day. They think we rule. We are just doing what we want to, wherever we want to. God says, you know what, guys, you're my stick. I dispatch you when I want to, chastise my people. Though they, the Assyrians, know him not. It's amazing to me. God rules the nations. Now, if he rules the nations like that, what does he not rule over in your life? Friends, there there is not a detail of your life that is too small for God's personal, intimate, sovereign involvement and care. Let me just say that again. There's not a detail, not a single detail of your life that is too small for God's personal, intimate, sovereign involvement and care. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said, are are not two sparrows sold for a penny? So these These little sacrificial animals, you can get them for a penny, he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And then he says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, God the Father. That's just an easy verse to read over, but but just, it's stunning. He says, "Not, not a little bird falls to the ground apart from the will of God your Father. The the most seemingly insignificant detail. Jesus says, not insignificant to God. He's aware of that. He's involved with it. And then he adds, look, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. By the way, are you you numbering your hairs right now? I, I doubt it. God is. He knows you that intimately and that personally. And then Jesus adds, fear not, fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You are an image bearer of God. He is sovereign and he cares. He cares about you. He cares about the most minute details. He is intimately involved in your life. Now, Is there real mystery here? Yes. 
Yes. Get, get comfortable with mystery. We are finite beings talking about the infinite one. Okay? Mystery is involved. Mystery is expected. Mystery is normal when you deal with, try to think about the infinite God. There is mystery from our vantage point as we hold together the reality of God's absolute sovereignty and the reality of our suffering. There's mystery, but, but hold them, we, we must. Some Christians will offer a solution that says God is not sovereign. He didn't know that was going to happen to you. That's not an answer. That's not the God of the Bible. I love I love what the great theologian Jonathan Edwards said. He said, absolute sovereignty is what I most love to ascribe to God. Absolute sovereignty is what I, I just love it. I love to ascribe that to the living God. It's a, it's a bedrock. It's what the psalmist is taking us to. It's how we build our, our lives on the true nature of God. He makes kingdoms to rise and fall. He determines the duration of wars. And he is sovereign over any trouble you will ever experience. And then just to reinforce this, he says to us in verse 10. Be still. Or, I believe you could translate that, cease striving. Cease striving. Be still and know, God now speaks in the first person, that I am God. He will be exalted in the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. So catch that. It's a wonderful payoff of this second truth. He is sovereign. He's ruling and reigning over nations and over your life. So you can cease striving. You can be still knowing you're not sovereign. You're not in control. He is. I think one of the biggest recurring sins in my life is the, the anxious belief that I am somehow in control or should be in control or want to be in control. I need, see if you can relate, probably daily, verse 10. God saying to me, Tab, be still. Tab, you're striving. Tab, you're pretending that you're God. Tab, you're pretending that you are sovereign. Your anxiety, your worry, your fear is saying, I rule over this circumstance. Tab, cease striving and know that I am God and I'm still on the throne. Thank you very much. Friend, there's wonderful help knowing the author of history is the author of your circumstances. And he cares about you as his beloved child in Christ. Every hair of your head is numbered. So God is present. He's unshaken by trouble. God is sovereign. He's ruling over trouble. And you hold these truths together and you get at a third truth and what this psalm is really driving at. Thirdly, that God is our refuge. Thirdly, that God is our refuge. And this really is the main thing God wants us to take away. It's the main application point. It's given to us at the outset of the psalm, isn't it? In verse 1. 
We're told in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. Our refuge and strength. And this is reiterated a couple times. Look down to verse 11. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What is God mainly communicating to us? He's mainly communicating, God is your refuge, your fortress. What does that mean? Well, think of, think of some medieval castle. I would love to visit castles in Europe sometime. And I, I envision some army coming after you. And you flee to the castle. And you pull up the drawbridge. And you make sure the moat is filled. And how do you feel? You probably feel pretty secure inside. That's what you're to feel as you find God as your refuge. A place of security. A place of peace. You see this, you see this in small children. When a small child falls down, they skin their knee, what do they do? Mommy! Where is mommy? For my kids, typically wasn't daddy. It was typically mommy. And they would cling to mommy. And no one else would do. They would have to have mommy. With mommy, there would be security, a sense of protection, Mommy would, in a sense, be her, her refuge. And God is that for you in Christ. A stronghold, a fortress. The one you can run to every day, every moment of every day for comfort, for protection, for shelter, for peace. God desires for you to experience him as refuge in the midst of trouble. And notice, notice what else the verse says. He is our refuge and what else? Our strength. He is our refuge and strength. A very, I love this, a very present help in trouble. Whenever, whenever I do a hospital visit to visit a church member who is ill, I almost invariably turn to this psalm and I almost invariably highlight this verse. He's your refuge. He's your strength. A very present help. So right now, right now, this moment, very present help in trouble. He promises to strengthen you. And sustain you through it. I always think, I don't want to go through it. Take me out of it. God says, I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to uphold you. I have grace to help you. It was the reformer Martin Luther who wrote a hymn based on this psalm that begins, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never Failing. That's the strength of your God. That's the kind of help He is. Never failing help. Grace available all the time. So I just want to ask you, what trouble are you facing right now? What trouble are you facing in your life? 
If you're not facing some right now, buckle your seatbelt because it's coming. But some of you I know, you're, 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 you're living this out, I know. Where is this for you? The finances, maybe? Financial trouble? Trouble in the, trouble in the workplace? Trouble in the family? Trouble in the marriage? Trouble with the children? Trouble with your health? Where, where is this for you, friend? Where do you need refuge? Where do you need strength? Got that in your mind? God is saying to you right now through His inspired Word, I am with you in that moment. I am with you in that situation. I'm ruling over that situation. I am indeed eager to help you in that situation. Isn't this good news? It's the kind of God He is. He's saying, I'm I'm nearer to you than anyone else. I'm nearer to you than the trial itself. And I am an ever-present help for you. I have custom-designed grace to sustain you. In no way, friend, am I trying to minimize what you're going through. In no way. I simply want to remind you of where your hope lies and the one who can help you like no one else can. Notice, notice it doesn't say he's merely a refuge. He is our refuge. So in Christ, you can say, he is my refuge. He is your personal refuge for trouble today and trouble tomorrow. So we face a new year tomorrow, 2018 tomorrow. I hope 2018 is filled with things that you rejoice in and celebrate things that just make your heart bubble up with joy. I hope 2018 is filled with that kind of thing for you, but it's also going to bring trouble. And friend, you and I, we must be equipped for the trouble ahead of time. This psalm can help equip you. Some things may come that break your heart. Some things may come that grieve your soul. And you can turn here and say, God is my personal refuge, fortress, and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, I wish it said from trouble. I wish it said God delivers you from the trouble, that that the troubles will be brief in 2018. They might come in January. They'll be gone by February. It doesn't say that. It says he's that for you in the midst of trouble. It's part of the mystery and part of life in this fallen world. But friend, I do want you to be aware that if you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you have turned to his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile you to God, then God has already delivered you from your greatest trouble. I don't say that mildly to minimize what you're going through. Believe me, I know some of you 
suffering in ways that I can't imagine. I know some of you are suffering and have been suffering for a long time. And we learn from you and we thank God for you and for your example. But I, I want to make sure the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is informing how we process trouble as well. His Son has borne our judgment. For all who believe, He's taken the wrath our sins have earned and deserved that we might know mercy and grace like we sang. And the most famous example of that good news making a difference that I'm aware of in fairly recent history is the true story of Horatio Spafford. You may know this story. Spafford was a successful lawyer in Chicago. In 1871, he invested heavily in real estate along the Lake Michigan shoreline. A few months later, the Chicago fire wiped out all of his holdings. Just prior to that, his son had died. Desiring rest for his wife and four daughters, he sent them on a trip to England, and he also hoped to travel there to assist D.L. Moody in his outreach. Due to some last-minute business developments, Spafford had to remain in Chicago, sent his wife and four daughters ahead. While en route to England, their ship collided with another ship, and their ship sank in 12 minutes. Several days later, Mr. Spafford received a cable from his wife saying simply, Saved alone. All four daughters died. Shortly afterward, he boarded a ship to join his bereaved wife in England. And it is thought, it is thought that in the very area where the ship went down with his four daughters... It is thought that in that area he penned the words to a well-known hymn, It is well with my soul. Now, like the doctrine of God's sovereignty, I want to take care with this hymn. Okay? When we sing this, we're not saying everything that happens to us is cheery. Like you've got to put on a smiling face and say, it's all well. No, there's a place for grief. We mourn, we grieve. Some things take us low. This is not a call to stoicism. But what this hymn does so, so beautifully is takes us to our assurance in Christ in the midst of that trial. In the second verse especially, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this Blessed assurance control. This is what we want. This blessed assurance controlling our hearts and minds. That Christ has regarded my helpless estate in my sin. And has shed his own blood for my soul. Friend, God is a refuge and strength and very present help because of that. And that blessed assurance, that good news can comfort you and help you come what may in 2018 and beyond until you see your Savior face to face. 
Christ has regarded your helpless estate as someone who has sinned against infinite holiness and infinite justice and deserves the wrath of God forever. Christ regarded your helpless estate and shed his own blood, gave his own life for your soul to secure your future and eternal joy. And so we're going to end by remembering that blessed assurance through the Lord's Supper. Would the worship team please come?